friends. Hello, it's me, your host, Danny Coco. Welcome back to Gifted. I am hyped on a whole other level for today's episode. But first, before we get started, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend who you think might benefit from it. Today, I have Calvin Hamilton, who has the most unbelievable story. He got his first job working in the YouTube field when he was 13, started working for Gary Vee at VaynerMedia when he was 18, and started his own company at 21. He is so kind and so humble and has such a unique background that I think really anyone who just listens to his story today will benefit from it. If you're interested in business, if you're interested in starting your own company, or even if you're working for someone else right now and you're trying to figure out how to optimize your life and your schedule, this is a phenomenal episode. I don't want to talk too much because Calvin has some amazing points, so I want to get right into it. Enjoy today's episode. Let me know your thoughts. Shoot us an email, giftedpodcast at gmail.com, or DM us on Instagram at giftedpodcast, and let me know your thoughts. Let's get into it. I am here with Calvin Hamilton. Hi, Calvin. Hi there. Thanks so much for joining me. I have been so excited about talking to you on the podcast just because I think you're so interesting. I think what you've done is so fascinating. Um, I'll just very keep, humbling. I'll keep Thank throwing you. compliments at you. Uh, but I, I really think it's it's so amazing. And so I'm really excited to dive into obviously the incredible career that you've had and you've done it all very young and you kind of have this amazing body of work under you. So I think it's going to be really fascinating to get into today. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So I kind of want to start, I know you've had, you know, you've been working in since a really young age, but if you want to talk mm-hmm. about kind of how you got even into the YouTube world or the social media mm-hmm. world, what your kind of first foray into that was. Yeah, of course. Um, so my, the Kickstarter, the launch of my career um, was very accidental. Uh, when I was younger, I was obsessed with video games, specifically the Call of Duty franchise. <laughs> and there were these big YouTubers that were posting their gameplay on YouTube. And at the time, this was very new. It wasn't something that had really been done before, as far as I'm concerned, at least. And uh, you had a few big creators uh, ranging from the guys at Optic Gaming, which is now a big esports team, or FaZe Clan. Uh, one big YouTuber who I don't even think makes videos anymore, C Nanners, was one of like the originals. Um, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that these people were posting gameplay. It was just weirdly entertaining. And my parents never understood it. They're like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm watching somebody play video games. You're just watching them. Why would you do that? But in <laughs> right, the meantime, why would you play they, yourself? Yeah. Yeah. They, they turn on the TV and they watch somebody else play soccer. And it's like, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. Mm. Um, so they, there was a lot of, always a little bit of irony there, but um, I thought this was the coolest thing in the world. And so I was inspired to do it myself. I saved up, uh, you know, my allowance and I got to the place where I bought a Hoppog HD PVR, uh, which was this thing that allowed me to record my video game gameplay. And I started making gameplay videos on YouTube. Um, and then maybe two or three years into it, I found out, and by the way, at this point, I'm 12 years old or so. Yeah. I, I found out that you can make money from this uh, via these companies called multi-channel networks, which were basically uh, third-party companies that helped YouTubers uh, monetize their channels by putting them in the YouTube partner program and running ads on their channel. Um, And when I found out about this, it was this crazy thing. There were a few big networks that immediately seemed very enticing, uh, one of which being Machinima. Uh, There was also an old network that I think is shut down now called Yaush amongst a few others. 
And uh, basically all of middle school, I spent making YouTube videos and I was trying so hard to hit the minimum requirements uh, to join one of these networks. And I finally did, uh, which is how I found out that you, know, you could make money. I found out how the MCN industry works and uh, what the technicalities were behind growing a YouTube channel, which is ultimately how I got a job at an MCN. Uh, down the line, I ended up Skype messaging the CEO of a small network called Content Pixel based in the UK when I was uh, in eighth grade. I was 14 and he offered me a job working for free where I could work under him at Content Pixel to learn how the YouTube MCN industry worked. So did I think he know that's how old you were when you uh, reached out to him? I, he, he did uh, he, because I had to have my parents sign off on it. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so my, my parents had to co-sign my uh, Content Pixel contract. Um, and bear in mind, it was a, um, it was, I suppose you'd say like a referral contract or I worked on a commission basis where if I brought in a YouTube channel that became a partner, then I'd get a small percentage of what they would end up making. Um, and it was, yeah, so he knew that I was 14 and he was surprisingly unfazed by it. Um, and he just kind of gave me a shot. So a lot of my career being what it is today is just because a guy in his early 20s, I think he was like maybe 19 even um, oh, wow. at the time, decided to have a 14-year-old work for him for free. And that kind of set me up for the work that I do today. That's amazing. I think it's unbelievable that he was so okay with it. But I also think there's something to be said in general with YouTube, that the age of the creators varies mm -hmm. so much that there's a lot of potential there. Obviously, you see that less on the, the work side and more on the creator side, but still. Absolutely. To, to touch on that, one thing that I think a lot of people listening to this podcast in particular will find terribly interesting is uh, a couple of years into my MCN career while working at these multi-channel networks, I was working for a company called Scale Lab. And some of my biggest partners at the, in partners being uh, people that had YouTube channels and mm -hmm. that were creating YouTube videos, some of the biggest partners that I had signed at the network were in their early teens, like yeah. anywhere between 13 to 16 years old. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say names because I don't want to, you know, right. expose Come anybody here, you, but right. yeah, of course. <laughs> but, um, there was a 16 year old kid that I worked with who lived in Ireland, um, that was making anywhere his average month, his average monthly payment, it ranged pretty heavily, but it was anywhere between $12,000 to $24,000 a month off of yeah. YouTube ad revenue. And he was playing video games just you know, uploading these video games to YouTube. And it was like the craziest thing I had ever seen. I was like, how is it that a 16 year old can make more than, you know, the average household in the US? <laughs> right. Well, you and know. I think it's, it's funny because I got my start or one of my earlier jobs was at an MCN too. So I worked in the, in the YouTube world and I had clients who were 11 who were just <laughs> raking it in. And I was like, that is insane. But it's, it really is. I think a lot of people say like, oh, it's just dumb luck, but I don't think it is at all. I think it's Not a really, really great skill set that some of these kids develop at a really early age and they're great at being on camera and they have the creative vision. And like, it's hard, I think, for a lot of adults to look at that and say, oh, this kid has built a whole business and they're 11. But really some of these kids, I mean, look, you were working and you were 14. Like if you have mm -hmm. the vision, I think it's possible. 100%. There's been a lot of retrospective clarity that I've mm -hmm. gotten uh, since working in the MCN industry. And one of the biggest things that I now recognize happened, but at the time it would have never been uh, that apparent to me, was that at the time when I was 
editing YouTube videos and designing YouTube thumbnails, right, for my videos or designing my YouTube background, I was actually picking up a series of hard skills. Um, and I would have never known that. I would have right. never known that Photoshop was a relevant skill set to companies or mm -hmm. that uh, knowing how to edit something in Adobe After Effects was something that could be applied in real life outside of wanting to make sure that my video game gameplay looks as cool as possible so that I can get an extra 10 views, right? right? There, was, there was no... Uh, I had no idea how that would translate into the real world, yet I was picking up what are considered hard skills. And then those are ultimately the things that made me, you know, a viable applicant for like when I got my job for Gary, I knew how to grow a YouTube channel, which is something that most people wouldn't even really blink at. It'd be like, okay, so what? Um, and I knew how to use certain software that even though at the time it was very much so like, oh, those things are just a hobby. Um, mm -hmm. It ended up being applicable. And that helped me get a job that more or less helped me, you know, launch my career into a whole nother level. Well, and what a huge point, because I think a lot of us go through life and you're doing all these little things. And sometimes there's this overwhelming feeling of like, what's it all for, which mm -hmm. I've experienced that. I'm sure a lot of other people have. Mm -hmm of your, you know, even just like the simplest thing. Like I was an assistant at a management company. That was my, one of my first jobs and I would roll calls. And I was like, what is the benefit of being able to connect two people on a line? But it's a super valuable skill set. You have to be able to do that when you're working in any industries is be professional on the phone and have those phone skills. So I think the little things that you do that you're sitting there and you're wondering, what is the point of this? Typically, you know, they can lead you somewhere. They can be valuable down the road. Absolutely. It's one of the biggest things that I tell friends now. A lot of my friends are currently in their last year of university. And let's just as, uh, highlight that you've had this insane <laughs> career. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but, you know, a lot of them will reach out to me and they'll ask about internship opportunities in mm -hmm. New York or they want to get in touch with someone that um, they think that I may know or something like that. Um, and, and one of my biggest I don't want to say criticisms because that has a very negative connotation, but one of my biggest points of feedback, if you will, to them is that nobody, not frequently at least, are really hiring off of soft skills. Soft skills are very important in most application processes and making sure that you can, or you're even considered, right? You're in the conversation for a mm -hmm. position. But the fact of the matter is when it comes to somebody hiring for something, people are generally looking for experience with regards to some sort of hard skill, right? Yes. Making sure that you know how to connect two people on a phone call and you actually know what that process looks like. Right. Or making sure that you know how to design something in Photoshop or that you know how to use Salesforce as a CRM. Right. All of those like by themselves seemingly needless things where it's kind of just like, okay, so what? You know how to do, you know, what is the value of knowing how to use Salesforce? that can be immensely valuable to somebody else. And that's what they're willing to hire off of. So like, if you just spend your time learning three hard skills, and then the rest of the time, you just have your soft skills in point on point. And when I say soft skills, just like, you know, being able to sit in the meeting and take notes or, you know, having the ability to conversate with the right people and, you know, project management, those things that are a little bit harder to define because they don't really pertain to a specific set of actions is, I think that's immensely important. And it's something that often t gets overlooked where people think that just because they have a little bit of business knowledge that they're the it's perfect fine, applicant right. for every position. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think what's, you know, not to get too far down this rabbit hole, cause I could go all day, but <laughs> I think when I look at college and university, that's always a, a point that I've had mm -hmm. is so where I went to school, I was a screenwriting major and literally all we did was write and analyze scripts. And I was like, great. Mm -hmm. And then I have friends who went to 
slightly fancier universities who were also screenwriting and film majors. And I was like, so what, what did you write? And they were like, nothing. We analyzed films and I was a screenwriting major. And that always kind of blows my mind because it's the same concept of you have to do and practice what it is that you're going to need to do in the real world. On a, you know, with school as well. Same goes for that. You have to be able to hone those skills. And, you know, it's great if you know how to analyze a Steven Spielberg film, but that's not necessarily what they're going to want from you when you're an assistant for a producer. So I, I think it's just an interesting kind of yeah, conversation. Absolutely. That way. I, you know, I'm going to flip the roles on you here and I'm going to ask you a question if you don't oh, mind. Go for it. Um, out of curiosity, from your experience transitioning, because you graduated uh, college very young yeah. in our last conversation, mm-hmm. um, what was that process like transitioning from very young college grad to you know professional work life uh seeing as how you said you were 19 is that 18 correct? yeah 18 and mm-hmm. did you have to go through the normal interview processes that are associated with like working at a studio 71 for example yeah so i kind of got i don't i guess i should say i got lucky because i mm-hmm. was like obsessed with the idea of interning places i don't know what it was but i was like i have to intern everywhere that I, you know, can. So my senior year, I got an internship at a talent management company that was all for traditional talent. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was working there. And while I was interning there, I had to fill in for an assistant for a couple of days. And she, two days before my graduation, quit to go work somewhere else. And so that same manager was like, perfect, just slide on in. So like the day of my graduation, I was started working full time. So I got lucky in the way that I didn't have to go through a whole interview process because I had started interviewing it at talent management companies and was like to work in the mailroom. And I was like, I actually don't know that this is going to be great for my sanity. So I got lucky that I just, that timing worked out perfectly and I got to be an assistant. But that, I mean, for me, and I'm sure you can attest to this too, it was an interesting balance of some people thought that I, the fact that I was 18 was so interesting and such a great thing and spoke to my ability to move quickly, whatever. Other people were like, you must be so immature. And I was like, well, no, that's not how this happened. But so I I think, you know, and I'm sure, you know, you obviously have had this incredible career so young. It's a, it's a balance. You find people on both sides of the spectrum. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's to, obviously it looked like you were hesitant to use the word lucky. Yeah. And I completely understand that in that uh, there's this quote that's particularly popular and perhaps you know it. It's something along the lines of like, um, you know, luck is when uh, the, you know, timeliness meets preparedness or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I completely agree with that. You know, the way that I got my job for Gary had Gary tweeted on Twitter saying that he needed help on the YouTube platform. To clarify, and- this is like, the yeah. Gary V that he is about to talk to or talk uh, about. Yeah. So I, as context for those of you listening, I used to work at Vayner Media. Uh, I was the youngest employee at the company. I had just graduated high school in June of 2017. And then I got my job officially my start date at Vayner Media in September of 2017. So shortly thereafter. And the way that I got that job um, was something where I frequently go back and I look at it as I was really lucky um, but frankly, I, I also hesitate to use that word because it's like, there was a lot that went into it, um, in the background, right? It wasn't like anybody on Twitter could have gotten the same job. It was very much so based off of the experience of the past five years of working in the industry that I did. And more or less what happened was Gary had tweeted on Twitter saying that he really needed help on the YouTube platform. Um, and he said, please email me. And I kind of hesitated and I was like, there's no way he would ever hire an 18 year old. So it's not even worth it. And I quite literally replied to his tweet saying, I wish, LOL. Uh, Following that, maybe like two hours later, I'm on my phone and I'm looking through Instagram stories 
And Gary had screenshotted the same tweet and posted it to his Instagram story. But this time he had included like one of those little text bubbles on top with his email. And I kind of sat there and I thought to myself for a minute, it was like, you know what, the worst case scenario is that he doesn't reply or he just blatantly says no, in which case I don't lose anything in either circumstance. So why not? Um, I sat down, I wrote what I thought was a perfectly crafted email, not really perfect, but I thought it was a very good email to get his attention. And uh, to quickly hit on what I mean by that is I started the email by saying, hi Gary, my name is Calvin Hamilton. I really want to uh, be your YouTube manager or something like that. I can't remember what the actual job title was. Um, and then immediately after in the next paragraph at the top in bold font, I wrote, I know my shit and then colon. <laughs> and then I went on to talk about my experience on the YouTube platform. But to loop that back into how that kind of pertains to luck is that had Gary tweeted that same tweet just like three months later or something like that, or three months earlier when I was still in high school, it would have been very difficult for me to get that same job. The, the timeliness of that tweet is unreal. I just graduated high school. I hadn't made a commitment yet to go to university. And frankly, just to give you guys a little bit of context as to how close this was, the day that they offered me the job, after we had exchanged some emails and I got on a few calls with uh, Gary and his team, actually not with Gary directly, but with people from his team, um, the day that they actually made the job offer was the day that my tuition for university was due. And so had this been any wow. later, I would have made a you know, very large financial commitment to going to a university and there's no way I could have backed out or there's no way I would have for that matter. Um, and had it been any earlier and I was still in high school, um, then he likely would have found somebody else that was able to work even sooner than I was. And so I completely understand where it's like, you know, it's hard to tell whether or not something is luck. And mm -hmm. I think that luck is a huge factor in success in many oh, circumstances. Yeah. But so much more of your success is predicated on how prepared you are and how much work you've put in that when that luck happens to come around or that timeliness or that specific event happens to happen is when things can actually start moving because you had done so many things prior. I want to actually um, take that snippet that you just said and um, play it on a loop forever to anyone who ever <laughs> asks me questions because, oh my God, that is exactly it. Because I think people are hesitant to use the word luck because they don't want it to seem like they tripped and fell into something, mm -hmm. but they're hesitant to say it was all my hard work because at the same time, like you said, timeliness, it really is when everything comes together and there's this harmony and this synergy of you've done the work, you've been prepared, you developed your skills. Like you said, your hard skills and your soft skills, you have mm -hmm. this craft, what you're good at for you. It was at that point, what, four or five years of working in the YouTube world. Yeah. And that would have been about five years in. Right. So you, I mean, and look, the fact that if you were an 18 year old kid out of high school with no work experience, this would not have been an option for you, but mm -hmm. you started working, you know, for money in the YouTube world when you were 13 or 14, which is crazy because now, you know, had you not been willing to do that, had you not been confident enough at 14 to reach out to the CEO of that company, mm -hmm. none of this would have happened because you wouldn't have had the, the relevant experience that you needed. And I think that's a huge thing is not being afraid to just take the leap or try the job or try the internship Absolutely. or just try to get something and try to mm -hmm. make, take the next step forward. Because how many mm -hmm. times do we tell ourselves, oh, I couldn't do that or, oh, it doesn't matter. I can wait or I'm not qualified or whatever excuses we make up when really you were just like, I'm 14 and I'm going to go work you know, for a YouTube company and it's going to happen. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with that more. It's also, frankly, for me personally, I also kind of hate saying that something is strictly hard work 
because it almost makes me feel cocky about it. Yeah. That's I don't, like, I don't want to be cocky about myself or my work ethic. Frankly, it wouldn't matter at all if I worked, you know, eight hours a day or, you know, 16 hours a day. If I'm getting the same result, then the hourly input doesn't actually matter. So there's no reason to be cocky about that. Um, but I obviously I'm proud of certain results that have come out of it. Um, but how proud should I be when there is this element that was completely out of my control and that aspect did fall in my lap. But the thing is that it wouldn't have fallen in my lap had those other things not been in line, you know? So it's, it's tricky. Well, the other thing I think about you is I can't tell you, and I think about this with everything that I do. I know a lot of people who are saying I wish, which is literally exactly what you tweeted at Gary, but that's where it stops. It stops at the, I wish it doesn't take the next step to, Oh, cool. Now I found his email. Now let me go email Mm -hmm. him and let me draft this application where I'm swearing, which is not, you know, clearly you're not the kind of guy who's throwing, dropping F-bombs every five minutes, but you know, that's, what's going to work for this particular situation. You know, most people are not taking, I shouldn't say most people, but a lot of people are not taking the next step. And I think that's where the credit goes to you is yes, you had the work experience. Yes. It was the right timing and the right opportunity but you could have just not taken advantage of it. And I think so many people make that mistake. Absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah. So you, okay. So you tweet Gary, you, then you email Gary, you get on these phone calls with his team and mm-hmm. you end up getting the job at that point. Did people know that you were 18? Um, yeah. So I, I was very upfront with uh, Gary's team. Specifically, I was on the phone with Andy Cranach, who is Gary's brand director. He's kind of the head of team Gary V. Uh, who directly reports to Gary, if you will. And we all directly report to Gary, but the thing is that Gary's such a busy guy Mm -hmm. that there are so many layers of friction where um, to help put that into perspective, out of my year and seven months at working at VaynerMedia, I had two one-on-one meetings with Gary, total. Two (laughs) total one-on-one meetings with Gary and maybe like 10 meetings collectively if you include like client-facing meetings as well as just like team uh, meetings for Team Gary V. So it's really not much. Your, your time with Gary is very limited unless you're a videographer and you're filming him all day, every day. Right. Um, so that, that's that side of things. But when I was on the phone with uh, Andy Cranach, I was very upfront about my age, um, even though apparently my understanding is that you're not supposed to ask about those things in an interview process. Yeah, it's te- um, I found that out later too. It's technically uh, <laughs> illegal. But... Not allowed. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, I came to the same discovery um, needless to say, it didn't affect anything. Right. Thank God. Um, he was actually uh, the team Gary V ecosystem, if you will. They're very keen on giving young people a shot if they feel like they have the skill set and if they're hungry enough uh, to fulfill the position that they're looking to fill. So um, that was great. The only thing is that once I had arrived at VaynerMedia, I was so hesitant to uh, tell anybody my age. I didn't want people to think that I was just this young kid or this baby at the organization. And it was very much so riding a fine line between I was very confident because of my age, uh, being an 18 year old moving to New York City and working for Gary Vaynerchuk was like the coolest thing ever to say. Like, I'm I so am proud awesome. of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was, <laughs> that was such an ego boost, of course. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, the, I'll be the first to say that there were definitely times where I found myself like getting a little deep into my ego and not, not to the point where I would ever treat somebody poorly, but I would even just start thinking things of like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm so great. And it's like, okay, let's take a few steps <laughs> back. You know? yeah. um, and so that, that was one part. But then 
at the same time, because I was so young, I didn't necessarily wanting everybody to look at me as a teenager. There are, you know, certain subconscious biases that we have uh, towards teenagers. And so that was something I really kept close to the chest. And I didn't tell anybody unless they were on my team at Team Gary V. And then the rest of VaynerMedia, and I did some client work on the agency side. Uh, As far as they were concerned, I was probably in my Mm mid-20s. I mean, it's so... This is such a a cool conversation for me because I don't know anyone who's been in like my position, which Mm -hmm. is like when I was working at Studio 71, I was 19 and it was this weird balance of, I wasn't going to lie if somebody asked, obviously, but I don't want, I, you know, people, it's funny. One of my best friends was on my team, like best friends Mm -hmm. now. And she always says to me, yeah, we all guess you were like in your like mid thirties when you started working there. (laughs) We're like, she's kind of (laughs) old. Because it's probably like oh, a younger yeah. company. They're like, she's a little old to be working here. I was like, oh my God. But <laughs> it's, it's, funny. it's funny because you, you don't want to, you know, not tell the truth and you don't want to seem like you're hiding something, but also you want people to take you seriously. And the problem that I always had kind of reconciling in my head, I'm sure you felt this too, is you're like, I got here because I'm smart and I, and I work hard. And it was, it was me being mature for my age. That's how I got here. It wasn't me being like, I want to go party with my friends. I'm 19 like that. So, but it's, that's a stigma that people have. So even if the reason that you got there is in spite of your age, not because of it, people are still going to look at you as that being a a primary factor. 100%. I, um, I I think that you'll relate to this in many ways. One little uh, funny story that I always have is that I remember on my younger brother, my younger brother is three years younger than I am. Um, So he's currently, or he's going to be turning 18 rather. Um, on his 12th birthday, I was 15 at the time. Uh, he, my parents, obviously it was his 12th birthday and I made some joke. I said, you know, I was five when I turned 12. And then my, <laughs> my parents immediately said, yeah. And you know, when you turn 12, you turn 30. Yeah, and, and it was always the joke where yeah. I was definitely, it was very clear to my parents and to most of my friends and even to myself that, um, I, I didn't necessarily have the same, uh, desires or like uh, social ambitions, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, as most of my friends did. And that was equally weird as it was reassuring um, because it allowed me to become very familiar with who I am and what I actually want, as opposed to just trying to fit in with my friend group who were all very accepting, of course. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, um, there was always kind of this, these thoughts in the back of my head where because I was doing things that were a little bit out of the norm. Uh, I remember when I worked in the MCN industry or when I made YouTube videos, um, that was seen as weird in high school. That was not necessarily something that, you know, I didn't want somebody to come across my YouTube videos or to find out that I worked in this industry because you'd be faced with, you know, a slew of different questions that a lot of times could quickly turn into uh, you know, more satirical than anything else where they're kind of just poking fun at you. Um, and it was never like bullying or anything like that. It was always good fun, but that definitely still plays with how you think about things and how you, uh, perceive yourself in different social structures. And so that was absolutely something that I always kind of took into account, but the whole, I suppose the circumstance around being particularly mature at a young age is equally fun as it is, uh, honestly, in a sense, lonely because it's harder yeah. to relate to people our age. So. And I think it's hard to relate. And it also becomes this thing of like, I look at me. So when I was in college and I was 18, even like then 
you know, my, or sorry, I should say when I, my freshman year, even when I was mm-hmm. 15, most of my friends were seniors. So they were like 21, 22. So now I'm like 15, my friends are 22. And on the weekends, they're like hitting the bars. And I'm like, I haven't, I'm waiting for my sweet 16, right? So it's like a weird, <laughs> this weird dichotomy of like, even if you do find friendships with people who are older, like now I'm 21, most of my closest friends are, you know, early 30s. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's, you know, I don't even think about it, but there mm-hmm. is a certain time period especially when you're younger, where that, that age gap is so prevalent. So it's like either you have friends your own age who you really don't feel particularly connected to because of the maturity difference, or you have friends who are significantly older and that really becomes prevalent, you know, when they're 18 and then they're 21 and you're, you know, in your early teens, I, I think you really feel that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're working for Gary. Yes. I, I'm going to get him if I'm going to get murdered, if I don't ask you this. So what was that okay. like? What was he like? Cause everyone wants to know. Uh, so that's, yeah, very popular question that I get. And honestly, and I know it's not necessarily what people want to hear, um, but he's exactly what you would expect. Um, the, the only caveat to that is that one thing that I think gets lost in the social world is that when you look at Gary's Instagram or even his YouTube channel, which is more long tail, right? And you can get more context. You are seeing a highlight reel, right? You are seeing the, you know, really hot one minute clip of him going on a rant on Instagram and he's particularly motivational and fired up that day. And you're seeing him when he's using particularly colorful language in an aggressive manner because that's what's going to shock people and get their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact of the matter is, if you watch his YouTube videos and you watch like how he behaves in a meeting or what he's like in what is now weekly V instead of daily V, um, it's exactly what you would expect. It, it, that's how he is in person. There's really no difference there. Um, you know, I, I think that the only uh, thing that maybe people don't know is like, yes, Gary is a human being and yes, he does get tired. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not common that that man has unlimited energy, um, right. you know, but at the same time, like it, it certainly happened where we were supposed to have a, and I know this is going to sound particularly bizarre to some people listening, but we would have team meetings uh, scheduled for like 11 p.m. or like 12 a.m. at the office. And that's not a joke. It was just Gary's so busy with meetings mm-hmm. until those times that our team would stay in the office until midnight or until 11 p.m. And then we'd have our 30-minute conversation with him and then we'd all go home. Um, and I know that may sound bizarre, but at the same time, there were a couple of times where we would have one of those meetings scheduled and then, you know, 11 o'clock or 1130 would roll around. And then Gary's just like, Hey guys, I'm too tired tonight, but like, you know, let's schedule this for another time. Um, and so it's like, it does happen. He doesn't have unlimited energy. Right. He's still a human, but at the same time, exactly what you see on YouTube or on Instagram is what you get in person. You just have to bear in mind that those are highlight reels. Right. You know, those are, those are the clips that are made to fire people up and to inspire them or whatever yeah. the case is. And I think as it is with anyone, you know, that's what social media is in general. And I mean, you know, you've worked in the social media world for a long time that it's, it's the best moments and it's mm-hmm. the best seconds of people's lives, which is great because that can be helpful to see, but it's also like, you know, bear in mind that people are still people. Absolutely. One thing that this always baffles me uh, in a sense is that uh, I see it happen so frequently in, in a bunch of different contexts where uh, people will look at certain 
like YouTube vloggers, like couple vloggers, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, wow, they have such a perfect yeah. relationship. It's like, well, do you really think even for a minute they're going to show you the bad parts? Mm -hmm. Like, do you think that they're going to show you when they get into an argument? Absolutely not. It's way too personal. It's not a, like the viewer's business, frankly. And that's, that's not something that people want to share. Nobody wants to share the lowlights or the parts where, you know, they're not doing so hot that day. Um, right. Frankly, I, I think a really good example of this is if you go onto YouTube and you like watch morning routine videos and some people have like the most extreme morning routine or daily routine for that matter where it's like okay i mean that's that's cool and if they stick to that that's amazing like i'm i'm very religious about what i do in the morning and how i go about my day and it's really important to me to have like a really good start but simultaneously i think that people take it um too seriously in a sense they think that just because they watched one four minute video of somebody that that's how perfect their life must be and it always is like that and it's absolutely not the case like things always happen and you know people are people so there's always a circumstance that you just don't get to see even though they're always going to frame their videos or pictures or articles in a way where you feel like you're getting everything and when in actuality you get you know 0.1 percent it's funny because there was, uh, you just got me thinking about this. I haven't thought about this in forever, but there was a YouTube couple that I managed um, okay. and a couple vlogger and they were like the ultimate, like positive, like perfect relationship, blah, blah, blah. They come into my office and like minute three, they're in the most intense argument that I've like ever seen, <laughs> not being mean to each other, but just like, no, like, no, 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 like this is how it is. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And that was like one of my first wake up calls of like, you know, I'm sitting here being like, I'm going to meet the couple who's like the most in love and they're just so obsessed with each other. And like minute three, they're just like arguing oh, yeah. about business. And it's, it's funny because it's exactly what you said. Like even, you know, people are people, you see the highlight reel, which is, is, it is what it is. That's the reality of social media. One that resonated with me, particularly on that kind of same note was um, when Casey Neistat, said Philip DeFranco has a podcast called A Conversation With. And Philip DeFranco, for those of you that don't know, is a news YouTuber. I love his YouTube channel. I think he does mm -hmm. a great Amazing. job. Um, he had Casey Neistat, uh, who's a, if, also, if you don't know, a very big YouTube blogger with millions of subscribers that used to do daily vlogs. And you know, he used to vlog every single day in New York City or while traveling, whatever the case was. And he amassed a huge following from it. On his podcast or on the podcast with uh, Philip DeFranco, he mentioned that the vlog almost caused him to get a divorce with his wife, Candace. And that was something that if you watch through any of his vlogs, he's the most positive, hardworking guy in the mm -hmm. entire world. And it looks like he has a great family life. It looks like he has a great work life and he gets to travel. Like how cool can this guy's life be? And he moved out of New York city because he said, while doing the vlog, I had no time for family. I almost got a divorce with my wife. And, you know, I'm going to move to LA and not do daily vlogs anymore because I just need to add a little bit more personal time, you know, me time and family time. And like, that was the level of transparency that as soon as he said that, I was like, wow, like I would have never guessed in a million never. years, you know, but those are the things that are missing that people would just, you don't get to see. Well, and I guess the problem with that too, is that when we're all seeing you know, especially with these vloggers who are building these incredible businesses and companies, and it mm -hmm. seems like, oh, they work around the clock and also they have these great lives. You get into this headspace where you never feel like you're doing enough because you're seeing oh, everybody yeah. work 20, and I'm sure you feel this 24 seven, everyone's hustling and grinding and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I, you know, what am I doing? Am I doing enough? And you might build a huge business, which you have. And then you're sitting there saying, should I be doing more? But really you have to balance and you have to have a little bit of, of, of you time and a little bit of time for your own life. 
And of course, mm-hmm. if, if people just show the hustle and the 24 seven work, 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 you don't really see that. And so then you're wondering what's wrong with me. Do I, am yeah. I just, why am I getting tired? Like this is, this is honestly one thing that I was always a little critical of Gary for. Um, and look, don't get me wrong for anybody listening. I love Gary. Gary has done so much for me and for my life, for my business, for everything that he's such an amazing guy. What you see online is exactly what you get in person. And he's like a brother, like he's such a great guy. Um, but the one thing that I never loved about the content that we would put out is that, uh, the clips of him saying, you have to work your ass off and you have to work 18 hours a day are inherently going to go more viral than the clips of where he actually says, make sure you get enough sleep and make sure you get eight hours if you need it, or seven hours if you need it, or 10 hours if you need it, and make sure you take care of yourself. Those clips where he's saying you have to work your ass off and get, you know, work all day, every day, are always going to go more viral because they're more interesting, they're more shocking, they're more, they're inspiring, they're motivating, versus if I come to you and I say, you need to get 10 hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep or whatever feels good, like, okay, I'm like, yeah, Calvin, I'm fired up to go to bed, like. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, like, it's not yeah. the same thing. And so we would post these videos of Gary saying, you know, work 18 hours a day. And then, you know, we'd also post videos of Gary saying, make sure to take care of yourself. But the thing is that so many more people would end up seeing the videos of work 18 hours a day that a, his message would get completely like, uh, distorted where a lot of people started criticizing him and saying, Oh, well, Gary says you need to work all day, every day and not sleep. It's like, well, that's not true if you actually mm-hmm. watch the rest of his content, but I understand why you saw that that way. Um, and then simultaneously, there was also the issue of like, even me myself while working at VaynerMedia, um, even though I know Gary's message and I know what he preaches and like, I know him as a person, um, I at one point was trying to have the schedule of wake up at 5 a.m., go to bed at 11 a.m. every day. And I got burnt out after a month and I felt so groggy and I did not feel well at all where I effectively, I woke up, I would go on a run or go to the gym and then I would be on my laptop all day for the rest of the day. And I would be working either on scale lab stuff or VaynerMedia stuff. It was one or the other. I was working out as a contractor there at the time. And that was so hard for me. And that immediately took a hit on my mental health mm-hmm. where I was not feeling well because I wasn't sleeping enough. I immediately started eating worse than I did because like, you know, getting a quick like slice of pizza was significantly easier than making a home cooked meal because it took less time. Right. And like simultaneously, I wasn't hanging out with friends anymore. I barely had any friends in New York to start with, you know? Yeah. So when you took all those things together, like my first four months in New York were actually pretty miserable. And that's not something that I would say so, so like a ton because from the outside looking in, of course, like this young kid just got mm-hmm. a job working for this super cool entrepreneur with millions of followers online. Like he must be living the life in New York city when in actuality behind the scenes, like I was miserable for my first four months in New York. And then it wasn't until I finally took a step back and I said, okay, you know, I need at least seven hours of sleep is what I figured out what works for me. If I get seven hours of sleep, I feel good. If I get eight, I feel great. And anything on top of that, it's just kind of like, you know, at that point, uh, what do you say? Like uh, something diminishing returns, yeah. right? Um, where after eight hours of sleep, like it's kind of like, maybe I feel extra cozy, but that's about it. Yeah, that's um, about all that happens. Yeah. And uh, so I, I learned that pretty quickly. I also learned that it's really important just to have friends um, and, you know, easier said than done if you're in a <laughs> new right. city and, you know, you're much younger than your colleagues. But uh, simultaneously, like it became very important to me to just like establish a circle or as a tribe, as a lot of people say. 
Um, and that's something where I just wish that more people would have a full sense of, because the hustle mentality still is so pervasive of like, you need to work 16 to 18 hours a day. I don't believe it. Like, I really yeah. don't. I, Look, I feel I, the same way because I, I think it's a scary thing. And I hate the word toxic because it gets so overused. Yeah, but course. but it's, it's, it really can be dangerous when that's the messaging is, you know, work your ass off and, and that's it. Because I couldn't agree with you more. And I think you probably feel this, but people, I think when you have an opportunity like what you had working for Gary, if mm-hmm. you were to say, you know, circumstantially, there are some negative effects on my mental health. You're so ungrateful, but it's like, no, not at all. You can appreciate what you have, but also know that life requires some level of self-care or balance or whatever it might be. Absolutely. And the thing is, there are quite literally thousands, tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands of kids that are in their teens and twenties that want to work for Gary. And when they send them a message, they're saying, I will work, you know, 20 hours a day and barely get any sleep for you. It's like an inherently bad idea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, in other words, what they're saying is I will sacrifice my mental and physical health right. just so that I can work for you. And at that point, honestly, it's not worth it. Like not at all. if you take care of yourself first, you'll be in a better position. Like as context today, my current daily schedule every day is I wake up very early, but that's because I choose to. It's not necessarily because I need to be uber productive. Right. Um, but I typically spend the first three and a half hours of my day working out, reading, meditating, showering, journaling, stuff like that. Three and a half hours where I have done no work as it pertains to my company notice. And then the, I probably spend nine hours throughout the day actually at my computer working. And then the rest of that time is between lunch, dinner, spending time with my girlfriend, my roommate, other friends. And, you know, I make sure that I get seven to eight hours of sleep. And that's like, that's a very healthy and happy routine for me where I just like, I feel at my best when I'm like this. And I think that's so, so, so important that, you know, we're going to dive back into kind of your story and your transition to starting your own business, but that you have balance in your life. And like, yes, you're obviously an extremely hard worker that's given to anyone who looks at what you've done, Mm -hmm. but you're also not like waking up 4am working straight till 11pm and then, you know, maybe drinking some water in between. If you remember, (laughs) like you're, you're, you're bouncing. And I think, you know, I've said this before too, and I really believe it. The best work that I've ever done, the most productive I've ever been, the most successful I've ever been is when I actually took care of my mental health and my physical health. Mm-hmm. And when I felt bad about myself because I wasn't working out and I wasn't, you know, exercising and I wasn't getting any sleep and I was constantly stressed out and working around the clock, I wasn't productive. It took me 12 hours to do what I could now do in six hours because I yeah. take care of myself. That, that's a very good point that I also should have hit on when I first said, uh, when I was first starting at VaynerMedia in those first four months, productivity absolutely, absolutely went down the drain. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I was working more than ever, I was working, you know, roughly the 18 hours a day because I only slept six hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. But my productivity in terms of my, just the mental clarity, how quickly I could think, how, how frequently I was able to get things done without being distracted in two seconds was terrible in comparison to how it is now where I may only really sit at my laptop for eight to nine hours a day, but I'm very happy with my work output and, you know, just these systems that I've put in place for myself and my business and how I conduct or how I almost use my time, if you will. I feel like people are so quick to give up their time when time is the most valuable thing that you have. Mm -hmm. Everything else can be probably given back to you. Right. Um, So like, you know, if you're going to be scarce with anything, be scarce with your time. Don't be scarce with your money. As Like if you are quicker to give away money than you are time, 
there's inherently a problem there. Um, okay. Unless, of course, like one is significantly more scarce than the other, but time is just so much more valuable. And when I was putting all of my time into work and zero into self-care, which then helps my time be worth more, it was just a terrible cycle. Yeah. And that happens to so many people. And so you spent those first four months at, uh, you know, VaynerMedia. And then did you find a balance at some point? When did that shift happen for you where you started to feel more productive and like you were actually taking care of yourself? That, that's a great question as well. Um, so the first four months really didn't go super well uh, in terms of mental health, physical health. Like it, it got bad enough to the one point. I'm comfortable saying this now. Um, but Andy Cranach, our brand director, uh, pulled me into Gary's office. Gary wasn't there. He was mm -hmm. out, you know, doing his stuff. But um, Andy pulled me into Gary's office and he's just like, hey, man, like I've noticed something's up with you. You know, is everything OK? How are you feeling? And at that moment, I like nearly burst into tears. I, I wouldn't cry in front of him because my pride was too high. Yeah. But um, I almost cried. Like I felt tears about to come down where it just, that was the moment where I realized like, okay, other people notice. Other people notice that I right now am lonelier than I've ever been. I do not feel well at all. I haven't been taking care of myself. And that's apparent to other people. When I thought I was putting on a great facade, and I thought yeah. I was doing such a good job with making sure that nobody else could tell. Um, and so that was the big moment where I, all of a sudden everything clicked with me of like, okay, this is affecting me in more ways than I thought it was. And then after that, I would say it probably took me another like three to five months to really get myself into a good place where I moved from Chelsea to Soho. While I was in Soho, I was there very briefly. I was there for like three months on a short-term lease. And then I moved from Soho to Queens. And when I was in Queens, I got into a really good rhythm with a morning routine and an evening routine, working out consistently. I was meal prepping all of my meals, which helped me take care of myself. And at the same time, I was much more adamant about taking breaks while working. I would go on walks on the High Line, which is a park here in New York City. And I would uh, you know, take a tea break for 15 minutes if I needed to. Um, which was stuff that I just wasn't doing before. Right. And I put more of an emphasis on socializing as well. I would go on more dates. I would try to, you know, meet more friends and then I would hang out with those people that I meet. Um, but before that just was not even remotely on the table. Um, so it was definitely like after the moment where it clicked with me, like, okay, something needs to change. It took another three to five months to figure out what worked for me and where I was actually happy and healthy. I love that because it's not this thing of, oh, I'm, I'm struggling and then boom, okay, I figured out the solution. Like it does yeah, require yeah. trial and error 100%. and it also requires some honesty with yourself because I think the easier thing to do is to be like, no, 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 I'm fine. Everything's fine. And if you hadn't had that Absolutely. kind of wake up call, you don't know, you know, you could, could have been months and months and months before that happened. So I think that's, you know, two things there. One, if you see that someone's struggling, ask them how they're doing because I think we're all so afraid to do that. You don't want to, mm -hmm. you know, hurt anyone's feelings or make them feel called out, but like people struggle. Like it's important to reach out and ask how they're doing. And also, if you are the person who's struggling, you got to be honest with yourself because if you're not, you can just be, get really caught up in that cycle. Yeah, there, there are certainly two elements to that, to piggyback off of what you just said. And, you know, the first part, as you said, uh, being honest with yourself in terms of understanding when something's wrong and just really trying to get a good understanding of how you feel and why you feel that way. And there's a handful of ways to do that. You know, I personally now today... Uh, one question, I have this thing called the daily manifest, which is like this daily schedule that I use. And on the back of that every day, I write a series of questions. And two of those that always kind of stick out to me are, did I express frustration today? And if so, why? And did I exercise self-control today? And if so, how? 
Um, and in the first respect, that. the answer is almost always yes. And that's okay. It's okay to get frustrated on a daily basis because stuff happens, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just understanding why you express some sort of frustration and writing that down, all of a sudden you're going to see patterns. And as soon as you recognize a pattern that something is constantly bringing you some sort of frustration, that's where you have to get rid of it. You have to figure out some sort of solution for that. It helps you identify those problems. And then self-control, if you recognize that you frequently lack self-control because you didn't go to the gym this morning or you decided to get a candy bar instead of a protein bar when you were at the store or, you know, you, whatever the case is, you know, you decided to have alcohol when you should have had water. Those are the things where as soon as you recognize those patterns, you can start asking yourself important questions as to like, okay, why am I doing that? Why do I feel this way? And how can I stop myself from doing that? And there, you know, we can go into a handful of technicalities from there. But then the second part of this, and this is, I honestly think more important in the sense is after you recognize there's an issue, give yourself time. It, like you said, Danny, you are never going to snap and everything changes. It's mm -hmm. like, I can't go from sleeping in every morning till 10 a.m. to then waking up the next morning at 5 a.m. It's right. just not going to happen. Like you're going to be so groggy and so tired. Give yourself a period to transition because those micro steps will lead to a much bigger outcome in the end, as opposed to just trying to make the entire change all at once because you'll do it for three days and then it'll fail. And then you'll think, oh shoot, you know, I messed up. I'm not good enough to do this. And you're going to be too hard on yourself. Like just small changes at a time. And all of a sudden, three months later, you're in a really good place as opposed to in a week. And there's something to be said for the sustainability of that too. Absolutely. You're just making that jump from zero to a hundred. The odds of you sustaining that are so low versus those daily little changes in the behavior that you're enacting mm -hmm. huge. It's a, it's a mm -hmm. major, major process. Absolutely. So you're working for Gary. You spend, you were there for about a year, right? Uh, a year and seven months. Yeah. Okay. So almost two years. I go a year. Yes. You're like, sure, but no. Um, so about a year and a half, you worked for Gary. And then at what point were you considering leaving, thinking about making the transition? When did that start? Uh, this is also a good question. And my answer also always surprises people. Um, I thought about leaving VaynerMedia about every minute that I was there. Um, because, and like, I know that sounds bad because Not a lot of all. people, again, they'll think that I was ungrateful or that I, uh, you know, didn't realize the opportunity that was in front of me. And, and the truth is, no, I did realize the opportunity that was in front of me. And that's why I stayed for as long as I did. Um, but I felt like had I stayed any longer, I would have suffocated in many mm -hmm. respects where when I was first there again, I was miserable being in New York city, which in turn made me miserable at my job. I really did not like working on team Gary Vee when I first started working there. And that was because everything externally was so bad. Yeah. Um, my mental health and physical health were going down the drain. Um, I was in a rather toxic relationship at the time. And so like those things combined, you're not going to get a positive output. And so you're going to try to figure out, okay, what's wrong here. And when you spend 90% of your time working, you are going to think that it is the culprit that is the 90% of the time and that it's your work. Mm. Um, and so that was one part. Uh, so I almost left within my first four months. Uh, then I said, no, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to at least stay for six months, which is still a tiny amount of time to stay right. somewhere. Right. Um, and then six months came around and I, I still, again, mental health was not like in a great place. Still didn't love New York city. I, I mean, I loved the idea of New York city, but then the execution of being there and like, you know, the circumstance of being lonely, not having friends and working all the time just really wasn't sitting well with me. So I was like, okay, maybe six months, six months rolls around. I'm like, okay, it's still too early. 
And I remember at about a year was the first serious moment where I was like, okay, I think I'm going to leave. And that was when I was offered a CMO position at an esports team. Um, given that my background was in gaming beforehand and I represented gaming creators, I thought this was one of the coolest opportunities in the world. Um, and then simultaneously, aside from this opportunity, one of my very good friends, Finn, uh, was moving to Bali, Indonesia. And he said, Calvin, if you leave VaynerMedia, we can create a company together and you know, we can just hang out in Bali. And both of which I thought were really cool. Esports was something that I was always very passionate about. And my friend Finn is one of my best friends in the world. And I know he's going to do amazing things. So it was like, man, being able to work with him would be so cool. And just be having full control of that would be amazing. And so I sat down with Gary. This was one of my first one-on-ones with him. It actually was my first one-on-one with him. This was a year in, fair wow. mind, you know, You're a year like in, I had my first one-on-one. And um, I basically said, hey, these are the two things that are on the table that I'm really thinking about. And I just want your honest feedback. And he asked me some questions about like compensation at the esports team, amongst other things. And after we talked about it, he's like, look, man, if you stay with me for a year longer, I'll help you get any job you want at any esports team or whatever, the, you know, whatever it is that you want to do, I'll help you get there. And I was immediately, I was like, okay, I'm saying. Um, well, I also bought what in. a great thing that you could, you could have that conversation with him and yeah. that you felt like you could. I, absolutely. And, you know, it was... Yeah, I think that that is a very good point because that's something I've probably taken for granted is that Gary is so open about those things as, as an employer. And frankly, even as I hire people now for my company, that's something that that's the culture that I'm trying to bring about is that um, truth be told, not to knock VaynerMedia or Team Gary Vee, but I'm trying to push away hustle culture. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be very lenient with our company hours and how we work and, you know, that's giving awesome. people time off on the weekend and making sure that, you know, they can work remotely whenever they want to and stuff like that. Those are all things that we're trying to breathe in terms of company culture. But then on top of that, just like we have to balance the line between, uh, professional but also like friendly and like hey we're a family and we want you here and if you're not feeling good about something or you think you want to leave like let's talk about it that's that's a conversation we need to have because those are the elements from team gary v and from vayner media that they nailed down in a superb manner that team gary v is a family more than anything else it is a professional environment but they were so welcoming and so loving uh so gary was great about having those conversations and then aside from that you know as soon as he said uh, stay with me for a year and I'll get you any other job. I was just like, okay, like see you next year. Yeah, you can. Yeah, of course, yeah. you know. So you ended up staying and then mm-hmm. you, when you decided to leave, like officially. So I decided to leave. Uh, I knew I was going to leave uh, in January of 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I had kind of come to the mental decision where it basically came to me in the sense of I was very it got to the point where I felt like my work was becoming too repetitive. Um, while at VaynerMedia and on Team Gary Vee, I was kind of a jack of all trades where if they needed video editing done, I could do it. And if they needed design done, I could do it. If they wanted me to project manage something, I was on it. And if they needed media buying, cool, I'm there. Uh, managed channels, done. Like I was a ghostwriter at one point. Like I was doing <laughs> effectively everything I could just at different times, right? Not all at once. Yeah. And as a result, it was kind of cool because it was the best learning experience in the world, but simultaneously it was to the point where after I learned something and I was on to the next thing, once there was nothing else to learn, it kind of felt like, okay, what's next? Yeah. Because I didn't want to just do something that I already knew right. um, because that would have felt too repetitive. And I'm 
very much so a dynamic person where I have to be learning and doing in order mm -hmm. to be fully satisfied and fulfilled. Um, and I just felt like that wasn't there anymore. So after, you know, January ish, I started having the conversation with a few people around me, uh, not at VaynerMedia, but just elsewhere um, about, you know, where, to, where I wanted to go and how I wanted to navigate things. And uh, finally in like February was when I figured out, okay, I'm definitely leaving. I put in my two weeks notice and I figured that I was going to leave to start a marketing agency. And so March 1st was my last day. And at the time to help give you guys some context, uh, after a year and a half, despite being employee number like 20 on team Gary V when I was hired, I was now employee number five. Um, and our team was 35 people large. And so, uh, what that means in essence is that turnover on team Gary V was extremely high. Um, all of the people that were originally above me, so to speak, had all left or quit or fired, uh, were fired. Uh, and then in the meantime, we had people come in and out as well, uh, during that time. But then by the time that I left, I was the fifth most senior employee on the team and we had 35 people on the team. Uh, so that was just kind of, that's a small taste of how quickly things moved there. And honestly, I hate to put it this way, how that hustle, hustle, hustle work culture can take a toll on like employee retention. And also I'm listening to that and also simultaneously weirded out by your timeline because I left almost on the, I put in my two weeks, I think on the exact day that you put in yours and then <laughs> literally, yeah, my last day, I think it was like March 10th or something. That's so weird. Um, 2019, but I mean, I think that's such a good point too, is any corporate, you know, quote unquote job that I've ever had, mm -hmm. there is some level of burnout. And I think it's, it's hard when you're working for another person and, and that person, you know, at the end of the day, you are just kind of meeting someone else's expectations, no mm -hmm. matter how much autonomy you have within your own role. There's just a, it's, it's not your vision. It's someone else's yeah. vision. And so all of that work that you're doing, it's for someone else's dream and you can be on board with it and you can believe in what they're doing, but it, it is still a level of, of pushing to make someone else's dream come true. And so that I think in itself leads to that, you know, can help lead to that burnout. Absolutely. It's hard to have any sort of vested interest while working at a company that's not your own. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. that, that's how I felt. Some people are very fulfilled, you know, working at another company and that's great. There's nothing bad about that. Right. Um, but for me, it was so hard and I hate to put it this way, but it, yeah, it was very difficult for me to care, uh, mm -hmm. for me to 100% be there mentally every day and say, this is what I want to be doing right now. Cause that wasn't true. Well, and it's also, you know, it's, it's a, to put it simply, like, it's just not yours. And I, and I know some 100%. people are fine with that and that's how, but that's, I feel the same way that you feel of like, someone could have this great project or this great idea, but it's not, I don't have the sense of ownership over it that I do now with my own stuff because I'm like, okay, if this fails, it's my face and my name and my business. Whereas mm -hmm. before it's like, you know, if this project doesn't get done, like, meh, like what, yeah. nothing, you know, what happens? It's not my company. So yeah, I hear that. Yeah. So you decided to kind of go out on your own at that point, start mm -hmm. your marketing agency. Um, and now you're crushing it, which is, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Was that scary for you to decide to do your, to start your own company or what was, what was that feeling? Um, equally terrifying as it was liberating. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, it was something, frankly, from the start of working at VaynerMedia, I knew I didn't want to be at VaynerMedia for five or 10 years. Um, I, I, I already knew that prior to even getting the job offer. I knew that at my core, I 
always wanted to start my own company. Um, it was just a matter of when, what, and how. Uh, and so when those things kind of lined up in a way where I was comfortable enough, uh, still not comfortable by any means, you know, leaving the safety net of working behind uh, what is one of the most prolific entrepreneurs in the world and having a consistent paycheck and all of those things is definitely a weird feeling. Yeah. Um, but I got to a place where I made some preparations prior to even leaving, where I started reaching out to people, seeing if they were interested in any sort of marketing services. So I lined up a few clients prior to leaving mm -hmm. and I kind of let them know what my plan was. Then by the time that I actually left, I uh, had a couple of clients lined up and I made that jump and it was probably one of the best decisions that I've made in the same respect as how, you know, taking my job working for Gary was one of the best decisions that I had made as opposed to going to university. Uh, leaving was always a great, also a great decision. I became so much happier once I left because I was able to learn new things and uh, basically work in any manner that I wanted to, that it made me so much happier inherently. So, um, it was also very scrappy at the beginning when you're starting a company, yeah, uh, you 100%, yeah. you're willing to take in any business that comes through the door more or less. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, because you have bills that you need to pay and things like that. And you don't right. really want to like dip into your savings. Just right. to you're like, I don't sure. want to, yeah, I want to like live and buy food oh. and all those things. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you want to make sure that you keep the lights on, but you don't want to have to lose all of your current assets in order right. to do so. So, um, that was, uh, kind of terrifying, but then again, like, you know, you live and you learn and being in that scrappy, super dynamic environment taught me so much. Um, I learned a lot about what it is to work with people uh, on a like business partner basis, uh, because I had a, not necessarily falling out, but one of, I had a business partner originally and she and I didn't see eye to eye on certain things. So we decided not to work together anymore, um, but we still get along very well as friends and that's great. Uh, but then simultaneously that experience taught me a lot where it was like, right. had this person not been my friend before, um, then I probably wouldn't like them very much uh, right. right now, you know? And so there was a lot of learning with that as well. And so uh, it's, it's been so much fun and I've learned so much. It's been very difficult as well, right? You all of a sudden have a lot riding on your back and you feel more pressure, so to speak, but that pressure can be very healthy so long as you know how to manage it properly. Yeah. And that's a big thing is I think the skill set that you learn and picked up probably working at VaynerMedia of having to figure out how to be, you know, mentally sound in an environment where there's a lot going on, I think is, yeah. is a, a valuable skill set to now owning a company. So if, you know, I'm sure people are curious, explain a little bit about what you do now and kind of what that is. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I run a marketing and brand strategy firm based here in New York City in the Tribeca area called Notus, N-O-T-U-S. And we help uh, technology companies uh, connect with their current and future customers through personal branding. So uh, in essence, one of the easiest ways that I can describe it is that uh, the process that we uh, on Team Gary V went through with Gary, where we created content around him as a person, and that content allowed him to connect with other business owners and in turn, turn them into clients through for VaynerMedia is kind of what we're doing with Notice. We're reaching out to technology companies as well as like some D2C brands. Mm -hmm. And we are helping their executives or their CEO or their founder or chairman of the board create content and to have an online presence so that they can connect with potential investors or customers or even people that, you know, want to hire them for a speaking engagement or a book deal. Uh, all sorts of different KPIs can be reached through this. And we do so 
by creating this content and then, you know, expanding their network on LinkedIn and Instagram and running ads against the right people, so on and so forth, so that they can actually have a personal brand that is articulating their company purpose and their mission and how it is that they're getting there in terms of their internal processes so that people build trust in who they are, what they're doing, and they actually grow to care about their company, even though it's another person's company, which is very hard to do. I love that. I think what's interesting about that too, is there's a lot of CEOs, you know, part of the reason that they're in business is like, they don't want to be famous. They just want to build their company and be done. But I, but I think now more than ever in such a socially connected time, you have to sort of be the face of your company because if there's no face Mm -hmm. behind your company, people don't connect to it. And I think especially right now, it's such a competitive market. There are all these new companies popping up all the time. So it's like, you know, as a a person, you know, a CEO an executive, whatever it is, you have to be part of the story. So I think that's just such an interesting, you know, thing that you guys are doing. Yeah. We, I mean, I, I personally don't think it's a coincidence that Tesla is the world's most valuable automaker and that their CEO has one of, if not the largest personal brands in the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, people very rarely talk about Tesla without, without at least the subconscious thought of Elon Musk yeah. and SpaceX. I think that those companies alone have generated significantly more in- interest because of Elon being who he is and him having the presence that he does online in comparison to what they otherwise would have um, without that. And there are a lot of different examples of that where a personal brand in and of itself, like if you try to think about the marketing that VaynerMedia does for themselves as a company, I, I worked there for a year and a half and I don't know. And that says something, Yeah. Uh, you know, VaynerMedia as an agency doesn't really market themselves very often. They have an Instagram and they have a Twitter and it's cool. But frankly, the main marketing machine, if you will, is Gary and his personal brand. And because he is known as being one of the world's greatest marketers and as this very you know, colorful entrepreneur with high energy and that is able to get things done, that's why people end up you know, learning about VaynerMedia and wanting to hire them. They then find out, oh wow, Coca-Cola is a client or you know, Pepsi or GE or whatever the case is. And then they'll want to, they'll want to hire VaynerMedia in, you know, by proxy almost. That, that reputation is just passed down. Well, and I think what's interesting too is, you know, when you're building a business, you are in some ways part of the commodity, especially I'm sure you felt this, like as someone who's starting out, you know, when you started your business 2019, people were probably drawn to you, not just for your experience, but also, oh my gosh, you worked with Gary, blah, blah, blah. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure that that's part of it. And so I think people are afraid to use that as like, oh, well, it's not about me. It's my company, but your company is you in certain ways. There is some level of connection. So, there. 100%. And uh, here's the thing is ironically, that's become a fine line in many respects where- mm-hmm. When I left VaynerMedia, uh, having the ability to say that I worked for Gary Vee was a huge point of leverage. And it still is in many respects. If you know who Gary is, then that can really help during the sales process. A lot of the times people that are fans of Gary, if they look at my LinkedIn and they're somewhat interesting in hiring somebody for personal branding, that conversation becomes significantly easier to have once they realize that I used to work for Gary. And they're like, wow, okay, very identifiable personal brand. And this guy helped run that yes, I trust him, right? right. And I'm going, I want to hire him now. It's just a matter of price at that point and deliverables and whatnot. And so that's a big part of it. But then simultaneously, when it comes to positioning yourself as the reason why somebody should hire you, that conversation can become a little tricky once you have a team, because then it's like, oh, by the way, I'm not going to be doing these things. My right. team is going to be, but I oversee them. And so you just have to make sure that there's a clear way of articulating these things. 
and then as quickly as possible to make sure that the leverage is less put on you personally as a brand and people wanting to have, you know, to hire Calvin Hamilton mm -hmm. to do these things that you can create case studies as your company and all of these things so that it's, oh, Calvin Hamilton runs the company and the company does great work. And that's, you know, in the same manner as how when people hire VaynerMedia, they don't actually expect Gary to run the Facebook ads. Right. You know, they just know that Gary's company does great work because they also like Gary. It's a huge thing too, because what I do now is I basically help influencers start businesses so that they're not just relying on social media for revenue because we know how that goes. Um, but um, it's, I have, yeah, oof, yeah. And, uh, but we have this conversation all the time with my clients is, oh, I want to start a company and I want it to be, you know, my, I want my name in it, or I want the company to just be my name. And I'm like, do you though? Because then, you know, in a year when this company blows up or, you know, hopefully you have tons and tons of employees, they're expecting you to be the product. They're expecting you to be the person that they're communicating with. And that's obviously not realistic. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Especially, you know, and I think that applies primarily in the service industry mm -hmm. where, you know, if I ran Calvin Hamilton, LLC, I think people would expect that Calvin Hamilton is a consultant that will then do everything. Right. Um, if all of a sudden, you know, there were 10 people working at Calvin Hamilton LLC, that's kind of a weird dynamic. Um, you know, so I think that's a very good point. Positioning in the way that you brand your company and just the way that you talk about it is very important to make sure that expectations aren't, you know, mismanaged. Huge. So I'd love to hear from you because again, like you just have such an amazing career trajectory and you've done so much and I'll just keep blowing compliments at you and being like, you're the greatest. I think you're so interesting. Um, I appreciate it. But from the standpoint of, for anyone who's out there who wants to build a business, who wants to make that, that leap, what would your biggest piece of advice be? And I'm sure you oh. have a lot, but. Okay. So uh, I'm going to make a few assumptions here. I'm going to say that this advice is for somebody that already knows what they want their business to be about. Because if you don't know what you want to do with your business, or you just know that you want a business, but you have nothing on top of that, um, you're in a pretty difficult spot where you, <laughs> you have to figure do some that work part there. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, you got to do your market research, figure out what your niche is, whether or not your product or service would actually be competitive in the market that you're in, uh, stuff like that. So that, that's the big first thing. And after you have those things in place, um, I'd say that the, you know, most important things would be, uh, with respect to making sure that you have enough cash flow to keep your lights on, right? If you, you shouldn't, it's a very risky play to go into debt to create your company. That's something that I would always say to avoid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, frankly, one of my like biggest, uh, how, how do you say? Uh, one of the people that I look up to the most is this guy named Alex Icon. He created a company called uh, Luxy Hair with his wife, Mimi. And the company did extremely well. They did a million dollars in sales in their first year at a very high profit margin amongst other things. And they went on to create a company called Intelligent Change, which is responsible for the five minute journal, which has been printed wow. like 500,000 times as well as the productivity planner, which has been printed another 100,000 times. And they are an anomaly in that they went $30,000 into debt, I believe. It may have been 10,000, may have been mm -hmm. 30,000, but some number into mm -hmm. debt that was relatively exorbitant in comparison to their non-existent income at the time because <laughs> right. neither of them had jobs and they just happened to be very successful. And obviously, again, towards our one of our first conversations, there was a lot of hard work and luck that went into that, but it resulted in a very good result. However, assuming that you are not, you know, 0.1% of people, you don't want to even put yourself in a position where everything could go sour if you, you know, put yourself into debt to start something 
which in turn is going to, you know, tear your life up. And it also, it also right. depends on where you're at in life. If you have a family, that's significantly harder than if you are a single, you know, 19 year old living by yourself. Um, so that, that's one aspect immediately. And then two, uh, so in a sense to actually wrap up the first one, uh, if you can, I'd always recommend bootstrapping a company. You will always be very, very happy about it in retrospect if you've bootstrapped versus if you haven't. Um, raising capital is also an option, um, but you know you just have to make sure that you are willing to take on you know a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars from investors or however whatever the amount is from people, um, knowing that if your business fails that you lost their money. And if you're comfortable with that and you can get by that because you're confident enough, then cool. Otherwise, I'd say bootstrapping is great. That's what I did with my company, Notice. Um, and then secondly, again, you know, as this pertains to our earlier conversation on like routines and mental health, take care of yourself more than you take care of the business. The business only exists if you are running it in essence, right? And it depends on how big it is. But if you're just starting your business, you have to understand there would be no business without you. And so if you are not treating yourself well, then you, your business is going to suffer as a result. So that's a big number two that I think is overlooked. And then number three, like the part that actually pertains to starting the company, and this isn't necessarily very technical advice, but you know, just make sure that you really put your all into it and that you actually care about what it is that you're doing. If you don't care about the company that you're starting, people are gonna know. I can already almost assure you that you are going to work very hard and you're going to be able to convince people that you are doing something that's important because they're gonna hear that. And they're gonna sense that when they talk to you, they're gonna see your energy and on top of that, it's going to be significantly easier to close people. There's also going to be a lot of testing and learning. You should never go into a business assuming that everything's going to go perfectly because I promise you it won't. But at the same time, if you are really giving your all into something, you can always figure it out. So amazing. So helpful. Hope you all are taking notes. This is so <laughs> great. Calvin, I'm so unbelievably appreciative of you coming on and doing this. I think you're just wonderful. Thanks. This is so great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. If people are looking to find you, where's the best place to go? Uh, I'd say the biggest one is LinkedIn, where my LinkedIn is Calvin Hamilton. Um, and then the second would be on Instagram, where my Instagram is Calvin's Mind. Uh, so C-A-L-V-I-N-S-M-I-N-D. And the links will be in the description for the podcast. So you guys can check them out. Thank you so awesome. much again. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. I'm just so unbelievably grateful that Calvin did the podcast. I think his story is amazing. I think he's amazing. Uh, make sure to check out his company, Notice, N-O-T-U-S. Calvin's LinkedIn and Calvin's Instagram will both be linked in the description for this episode. If you enjoyed, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Share this podcast with a friend that you think it might help. And I will see you next week.